This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, August 3rd, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. When Arizona cops seized a truck belonging to Rhonda Cox without charging her with any crime, she began to fight back. That's until prosecutors told her that if she persisted in asserting her rights and then lost at court, they would ask the judge to force her to pay the government's attorney's fees. Jacob Boo is an attorney in Arizona. He and the ACLU are suing the state over its broad civil asset forfeiture powers. Who is Rhonda Cox? Rhonda Cox is a mother and grandmother who lives in Pinal County, Arizona, and who uh, works as a sales administrator at a local business. So what happened to her? Rhonda Cox um, had a young adult son, Chris, who had borrowed uh, a truck that was Rhonda's truck uh, one night without, without her knowing about it. Rhonda regularly let him borrow the truck, but this particular night she didn't know that he had taken it. Um, he went out and with some friends got into some kind of low-level trouble, uh, which involved um, eventually putting onto the truck a hood that was from another truck that wasn't his. Uh, the police got a report about that. They eventually stopped the truck or found the truck later that day. It didn't take very long. And um, Chris was arrested and the truck was seized. What's wrong, what's wrong with that? Well, it's not Chris's truck. So forfeiture laws in Arizona and across the country, including in the federal system, provide that if an innocent owner of property has that property seized through no fault of their own, that property should be returned. That, that makes legal sense. It also kind of makes common sense. Um, we all lend our property to other people. We all are involved in things um, that you know, we don't know about when that happens. And in that circumstance, as long as the owner didn't authorize the unlawful activity, that property is supposed to go back to the owner. And this is known as broadly as the innocent owner defense. Exactly right. So what are you arguing in court in Arizona? Well, the innocent owner defense only works if the innocent owners are able to go and speak up on behalf of their interest in the property and they should get that property back. In Arizona, there are two facets of the Arizona forfeiture law that, that both incredibly strongly incentivize law enforcement to seize and forfeit as much property as they can without regard to the due process rights of it, people like Rhonda. And at the same time, the laws are, make it very difficult for innocent owners to speak up for themselves. So between the very strong incentive for law enforcement to grab as much property as they can and the very difficult path that an innocent owner has to claim that property, it creates a system where almost no one can succeed. So particularly in Arizona, what are some of the hurdles that state law establishes for getting your property back when you yourself haven't committed a crime and your property has been seized wrongly? The first hurdle is that the system is, is one that's very hard to understand. Even very experienced lawyers who do a lot of criminal practice often shy away from doing forfeiture cases because the laws are very unfamiliar. They're based on old legal concepts like in rem jurisdiction, which very few people spend time trying to, uh, to understand. But for a, for a layperson like Rhonda, the first problem is what I mentioned a moment ago, which is that the prosecutors and the cops have every incentive to make it very difficult for you because they get to keep the money if they succeed. So for example, um, just at a very common level, it's, all, it's very hard for lay people to kind of get um, a prosecutor on the phone. I mean, you would think, well, they seized it. You call up the prosecutor's office and you do kind of what everyone would do. You say, look, you know, my son's in some trouble or my friend borrowed my car without me knowing about it. Um, and you would think that a, a, an officer of the court uh, who's you know, sworn a duty of candor and to uphold the law, among other things, would just say, well, perhaps why don't you come and meet with me? 
um, we'll talk about what happened. Maybe if you can produce the title, for example, and show me a receipt for the car, we can give it back to you. Which would establish under federal law and under Arizona state law, you're the owner and quite possibly innocent of any wrongdoing. Sure. And and that information about the fact that you're the bona fide owner of the car combined with presumably what, what that person could learn, what, what the prosecutor could learn from the police officers in just a five-minute phone call would presumably establish enough to say, oh, okay, you know, thank you, ma'am. Um, doesn't mean that they can't prosecute the wrongdoing, right? No one is excusing the criminal wrongdoing on behalf of uh, Chris in this case, who, who pled guilty and, and, and you know, paid his debt, so to speak. Uh, the problem here is that people who really have nothing to do with, cr- with criminal wrongdoing are being punished by first the seizure of the car, so they're deprived of their property with no due process whatsoever. And then they're ultimately, they lose the car and have no ability, meaningful ability to challenge that. What are some of the other hurdles that are put in the way? Arizona's statute has one particularly pernicious hurdle, and that is what we've called the one-way attorney's fee function. Um, the statute is 134314F. It's one that we discuss in the complaint. And it provides that if a claimant, which is the forfeiture term for the, the innocent owner who makes a claim on their property, uh, so Rhonda in this case. So if Rhonda speaks up on behalf of her property, and it, even though she doesn't have a right to counsel, she, she's going to speak up on her own behalf and appear on her own in court. If she loses trying to fight a trained lawyer on his home field, um, if she loses, the law allows the, f- the prosecutor to seek a judgment in addition to losing the car, a judgment of his attorney's fees against her. So what that means is that her risk of financial loss is increased with every word she says in her defense and with every motion she files in her defense because when the prosecutor spends time responding to a motion, appearing at a hearing, appearing at a trial, that's all time which if Rhonda is unsuccessful, she will have to pay for. And in this particular case, that otherwise very theoretical risk was made very concrete. Rhonda did what what appears to be and what was an incredibly good job on her own of navigating the kind of Byzantine labyrinth of the of the forfeiture system in court. She did what's called uncontested forfeiture, which is a horrible misnomer. Um, where she sent in uh, a petition to the to the attorney, uh, to the county attorney's office, saying, "I own this truck. I had nothing to do with it. Please give me my truck back." Um, in that decision, the prosecutor, so the same person who has a financial incentive to um, to forfeit the truck because they get to keep the money, the prosecutor is the decision maker. So that's a particularly problematic um, you know feature of the law. Once that happened, she went to court and she filed an answer. She filed some discovery on her own and there was an exchange of written discovery papers between her and the prosecutor um, and some, some email back and forth between them. And in one such email exchange, as it became clear that she wasn't inclined to just go away, um, the prosecutor said to her that she should needed to be aware that if she persisted in her defense and lost, he would seek a judgment of his attorney's fees against her. Now, obviously, that was quite troubling to Rhonda. I think it is um, antithetical to the notion of due process and a right to be heard in, in your defense. And when she realized that that was, in fact, the law, she filed a motion to withdraw her claim and specifically said, I'm withdrawing this claim because I can't risk a further judgment against me. 
you know, Rhonda's not a wealthy woman. Um, she's just a grandmother, kind of a regular person. She's an every person trying to just make her way. And when she was at risk for not only losing the truck that she had paid for, um, but now having to pay for the state's attorney's fees just for the right to have her day in court, she just did a calculation that I think any of us would do and said, I can't risk this, and she, and she gave up. How do police departments in Arizona specifically make use of these forfeiture funds, and how does that differ from other states? Well, Arizona police departments and law, and law enforcement agencies, including prosecuting offices, right? So, so the, the agencies that are receiving forfeiture money are not just the police officers. It includes the prosecutor's officers, uh, prosecutor's offices. And they spend that money on almost anything you can imagine. They buy kind of traditional law enforcement things, police cars, bulletproof vests, things that, that, that they should have. Um, we all need good, high-quality law enforcement. Um, they also spend that money on things that are much more questionable, um, donations to favored charitable foundations, as we outlined in the suit, um, the monthly kind of upkeep charges for the county attorney's personal home security system. Um, across the state, there, and those are, those are directly from Pinal County, um, you know, across the state, as we also detailed in the complaint, there are large programs, law enforcement programs, which, though not objectionable in their own right, are things that I think it's surprising to find funded entirely by seizure money because it demonstrates that these law enforcement agencies have become dependent on running their agencies on the backs of people who can't speak up for themselves. So at some point, it's reasonable to expect that uh, these agencies will seek out opportunities to engage in seizures so that they can maintain their budgets. We're past that point. That, that has unambiguously happened. And as we detailed in the complaint, there are training materials um, that the Arizona Prosecuting Attorneys Advisory Council has put out on, on forfeitures um, that kind of make light of the fact that this money is so uh, important to law enforcement because they can't run their agencies without it. There are memoranda that are exhibits to the complaint from kind of unit commander type officers who run particular units within particular departments, uh, writing to their supervisors, imploring them uh, about the need for forfeiture money without which their unit could not exist. And these are not, um, you know, things that you would see as uh, ancillary to law enforcement. These are things like a like a bomb squad or a hazardous material unit. Again, the the problem isn't necessarily that those units exist. Of course, those are part of a good of a good police department. The problem is that the way in which they're funded is not what we think of as appropriate in a democratic system. That, that's a choice that should be made by the legislature. What are you asking the judge to do here? We are asking the judge um, on, a, on a kind of, I guess, on, on one level to, to disgorge the, the profits that law enforcement made unlawfully from the seizure of the truck. So that would be to you know, give back the money uh, that they earned from selling the truck. And we are asking for a judge to, to enjoin further enforcement of this law until it is either, either – well, enjoin further enforcement of the law. Let me stop there. That wouldn't mean that Arizona can never have a forfeiture program again. The legislature could take action to reform the law in ways that other states have started to do and which, which other judicial opinions have started to shape. They could uh, reduce or eliminate the policing for profit incentive, which is a huge due process problem, which gives 
officials, police officers and law and prosecutors who are supposed to be neutral and not supposed to have a pecuniary interest in the performance of their official functions, it would take that pecuniary interest out. Um, the attorney's fee provision, which bars someone from speaking up unless they're willing to risk paying for the state's attorney's fees, that would have to be abolished completely. There's simply no way consistent with due process to charge a, a, a person for the right to speak up on their own behalf. Due process is, is a meaningful opportunity to be heard, notice and a meaningful opportunity to be heard. And an opportunity for which you have to pay for every step you might take in your own defense is in no way constitutionally meaningful. Jacob Boo is a partner at Perkins Coy Law Firm in Phoenix. You can read more about the abuse that is civil asset forfeiture at our website, cato.org.